Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello, today I'd like to welcome Sue Wallingsford. She is a core faculty member teaching in the Mindfulness-Based Transpersonal Counseling Department, and she is also a member and participant in the Nourish Arts Therapy and Wellbeing Conference. So thank you very much for speaking with me today. Thank you, David. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Awesome. It's kind of a lovely day outside in winter Boulder, Colorado, and we get to have like a very fruitful conversation. Yeah. So just to start off, can you just tell me a little bit about you? Like, where did you come from? Mm -hmm. And maybe tell us like your educational pursuits Mm -hmm. during that time. And how Mm -hmm. did you find your way to Naropa? Mm -hmm. So I'm originally from Kentucky, a very small town in Kentucky. And I think my roots have very much to do with who I am and, you know, sort of the path that I've chosen, although it was not so easy to get out of the South. Okay. My background is at the University of Kentucky and studied art studio. And in my journey in art studio, found that I really like to work with people, teaching them art, working with art that were, you know, marginalized in some way. Okay. So I switched from art studio to art education and nice. didn't know anything about art therapy at that time until I had a teacher who suggested it to me. Yeah, so you're just doing art for fun. Kind of, yeah. I was always, you know, really interested in sort of how the mind and psychology Mm. and spirituality showed up in the art process. Okay. And was interested in that and how art was inherently healing. Mm. And so I had this teacher who said, have you heard about art therapy? And I had not, but it certainly, I became very interested. Well, I think maybe 20 years later, I ended up at Naropa after a very long, long detour around the world. <laughs> but somehow... What a beautiful detour. If it's going to be a detour, it might as well be around the world, right? Well, <laughs> not not really around the world, more, you know, yeah. just across the States. But okay. ended up in Boulder nice. and found out that they had an art therapy program here mm. at Naropa. And I just couldn't believe it because there's very few schools in the whole country that have art therapy. Okay. So I started here as an art therapy student in okay, so 1993. You graduated from Naropa. And I graduated from uh, Naropa in 1995. It was nice. one of the first programs uh, that ever came through here, the art therapy programs. Wow. I had some amazing teacher, Bernie, the late Bernie Merrick was one of my teachers okay. who very much influenced the work that I've come to do today. And yeah, that's how I ended up at Naropa, just never left. Okay. So what is the work you're doing today? What do you teach at Naropa? What is the position you hold? Mm -hmm. What kind of classes? Like, Yeah. I taught in the art therapy program for about 20 years before transitioning over into the mindfulness-based transpersonal counseling. Nice. One of the classes I teach is really helping students learn how to be counselors, learning how to Mm -hmm. do the basic skills, 
professional orientation where they learn how to be professionals in the okay. world, career development. I've taught several art therapy coursework. Wow. And I think the common theme with many of my classes is I use art as a way to help my students understand that deeper experience and that deeper mm. connection with the material. So I always try to integrate some sort of art experiential that might be meaningful to them in terms of unfolding sort of their own personal process. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think it is about art that helps with the healing process? Like why is art therapeutic mm -hmm. essentially? Mm -hmm. Such a good question. You know, creativity is inherent in us as human beings. Yeah. I don't think we're always connected to it. Mm. I think that we've in some ways lost the connection and the right to have our own creativity and our own yeah. artistry in a way. Yeah. For me, just touching into that in and of itself is healing. It also takes you into a different part of your brain. It accesses different parts of your psyche and your spirituality and your soul in a way that maybe verbal therapies don't quite touch. Okay. And so it's a deeper, more integrated hmm. avenue dealing with, you know, whatever it is that you're working with. Yeah. I just had a thought where it's like it might be one of the only therapies in which you get mm -hmm. to utilize creativity for mm -hmm. healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything else is talking it out, trying to uncover the meaning to this. Right. How did you translate this situation that didn't go very well? Or right. It's like the only time when you're like, I'm going to use blue yeah, <laughs> or yellow yeah. and I'm going to mix them together. <laughs> I feel better already. You know? Right. Just that whole process of just the mixing. and to yeah. yeah. Because when we use words, we just analyze a whole lot. Mm. We stay in our head. Yeah. We don't really drop down into our souls and our bodies. And so art really allows us to do Ooh. that and to feel it in a very different way. And then you have a product yeah. that reflects back to you in a way that maybe a therapist might like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, <laughs> I see you. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. there you are wow. in all your blueness. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It sounds it sounds like really interesting to mm -hmm. use that as therapy because mm -hmm. you're not wrong in art. You might be wrong in how you define love or maybe mm -hmm. it doesn't resonate with you because something's not working because you're having yeah. issues and you need therapy. But when you're making art, someone's not going to be like, oh, you're doing it wrong. Well, hopefully. I mean, well, I, I mean, think if they do, a... they're doing it wrong. Probably. Right. And, and, you know, there's a lot of wounded artists out there who have been told. I mean, most people yeah. are walking around like, oh, I can't do art, mm. you know, because I'm not good at it. No, 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 no. You know, you've just been told that you, you're not good at it and it's not yeah. a part of who you are. But, mm. you know, if you approach it from a playful and uh, curious way, yeah. it's like, what can come from me in line, shape, and color? Yeah. You know, and you said it, art speaks the truth. Yeah. And sometimes our words, we're really good at covering up, you know, what True. we really want to say with words. But with yeah. art, it sort of reflects to you the truth, sometimes way before we're ready to see it. But mm. it's right there. Okay. It's powerful. Yeah, I hear you. That sounds mm. really awesome. So we're having this conversation about the healing potential of art. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're involved with this conference or organization called Nourish Arts Therapy and Wellbeing Conference. Mm -hmm. Can you just tell us what that is? Mm -hmm. You told me a little bit about it and it mm -hmm. sounds super interesting. And mm -hmm. 
it sounded like this really cool thing that you started a couple years ago. Can you let the listeners know what that actually is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this was sort of after many years of work. It actually started as, if you want to name it as a project, Naropa Community Arts Studio International. And that started in 2010. And that was when a few of my students and I just were musing about what it would be like to take art therapy to other parts of the world and work with marginalized people. And before we knew it, my students had a place to go and a population to work with. So it has its roots and its history in a project that was spearheaded with the students and myself. That went on for about three years where the student-led project pretty involved in and of itself. Mm -hmm. This final iteration of it, though, was this last January, not this past one in 2018, in Cambodia. And it was a Nourish Wellbeing Conference, which was a collaboration between many of the agencies that I had come to know and work with in Cambodia that worked with women and children who had been rescued from the sex trafficking industry. So okay. it was pretty specific in the population that we worked with. The purpose with the Nourish Wellbeing Conference was to offer trauma-informed therapies and approaches and expressive arts to clinicians who work with traumatized clients, whether that be women and children who have been sex trafficked or Mm -hmm. domestic violence, but there was a trauma component. What we discovered in the work that we had done with agencies prior was that the clinicians themselves in Cambodia were so traumatized Mm. that they weren't really able to even stay regulated enough to do the work that was needed to do with their clients. So it became really apparent to us is that we need to work with the clinicians first. It's sort of like that old saying, you know, you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what we needed to do. So we knew that expressive arts was a really great way to reach a different population, a different country, due to the language barrier Mm. for one thing. Yeah, I was going to say, like, art is one language. It's kind of like math. Exactly. We didn't even have to talk. We just draw, (laughs) look at each other and go, yeah, I get it. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, so that was sort of the reasoning behind the Nourish Wellbeing Conference is that we have to work with the clinicians first. And so this conference was the first and maybe hopefully not the last of what we'll be doing to work with these clinicians from all over the world, actually. There wasn't just Cambodia at that time. Yeah, it it was held in Cambodia, but it wasn't just for Cambodians. No, we had people from many different countries. We had Singapore, we Mm -hmm. had Chile, we had Canada, England, everywhere. It was really wonderfully rich with Uh. many, many, many different languages and cultures and people very excited. And it wasn't just art therapy. It was also movement therapy. It was yoga. It was dance, you know, the whole array of the expressive arts where we came together. Wow. Mm -hmm. How much more powerful is it to have dance, art, Mm -hmm. and all the different forms of ways that you could do therapy through Mm -hmm. an expressive sort of... Do you feel like the healing is quicker when you have more therapy based in art Mm -hmm. happening all at once, like the yoga, Mm -hmm. the dancing, Mm -hmm. the actual paintings and Mm -hmm. just collective collaborating? Mm -hmm. Is it more healing than just Mm -hmm. painting a picture by yourself? Oh, I think so. I mean... You know, just imagine this. You walk into a room 
Okay. And it is just a smorgasbord of art materials. Yeah. There is like music in the background. Mm-hmm. There is movement in the air. It just has a very, very deeply nourishing component to it. Yeah. And that was very much the conference. I mean, I've been to lots of conferences and many psychotherapy conferences and group conferences and things like that. This one felt very different mm-hmm. because we were working with a different part of the being. We were working with the soul. And we were connecting on different levels that we don't usually connect with through music and dance and art, which we all understand. And when you're working with people from many different languages, how else are you going to do it? Mm -hmm. And it's also very deep into who we are as human beings. I mean, we've danced and used expressive arts forever for healing. Yeah. So I think it touches into something deeply inherently healing in us yeah 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 what sounds really cool is you have so many different directions you can go into Mm -hmm. when it comes to the arts Mm -hmm. that you can walk into the room and be like i Mm -hmm. feel drawn to this Mm -hmm. or i feel drawn Mm -hmm. to this at this moment or Mm -hmm. i don't feel drawn to that if i'm gonna go try it out because i've never Mm -hmm. done it before right and it turns out like wow i actually really dig that and that was super healing yeah or in response to one other artistic expression for instance if you painted a huge blue painting mm-hmm. oh what would it look like if you moved to that what does blue look like in movement you Ooh. know what does blue feel like you know in a poem yeah write about that so that you know instead of after you've completed one artistic expression instead of analyzing and talking about it you go to the next one mm. and then the next one and wow. then you're just getting a deeper and deeper and deeper understanding okay. of that creativity. Do you feel like the healing's more beneficial when it comes to the art therapies when you're amongst the community doing it mm-hmm. compared to a one-on-one session or like a very small group session? Because mm-hmm. you sent me a video to look mm-hmm. at yeah. and it was super beautiful, super mm-hmm. powerful. Mm-hmm. And it looked like a full room, like a full conference room of people just mm-hmm. doing the art therapy mm-hmm. all together. And it was mm-hmm. really beautiful to watch that. And mm-hmm. it made me wonder, is the healing more beneficial with a huge community around you? I think so. I mean, it's different. You know, making art alone is is one way of making art that might be deeper in some ways. But when you're in community with others, you're sharing. It's sort of almost like a celebration yeah. of community and people being together and reclaiming a part of their essential being, right? Yeah. There's some synergy that definitely happens, some communication that is meta. You know, you can be sitting along someone and not even look and to see what they're doing and then when you do, you realize, wow, they're <laughs> they're kind of making the same picture I'm making or, you know, yeah. there's some resonance there. There's some mm-hmm. mirroring there that that happens. And we know from a physiological point of view, the way the brain is and the way we respond to each other in those situations that that happens. Yeah. You know, there's a limbic resonance that happens and, you know, and there's scientific evidence <laughs> that we could go into, but I won't totally. go into that. But there's something very special about creating art together in a group. And if you can get art and dance and music and all that happening at once... Oh, that's just magic. Yeah. It's just magic. It transcends <laughs> therapy into magic. It is magic. It's magical therapy. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Uh-huh. 
So when you went to the conference, you said you mm-hmm. noticed the clinician people, yeah, the people who are supposed to hold the space to give therapy to others. Mm-hmm. You said you noticed that they were traumatized as well. Mm-hmm. How are you able to assess that? And from that point on, did you just integrate them into the process of the healing as well mm-hmm. as the learning? Or mm-hmm. like, what did that look like? Because I'm sure mm-hmm. you walked into this mm-hmm. event thinking, oh, we're going to do it this way. And then you saw something that was calling your attention. You're like, okay. Well, I think the years prior going and working with directly with agencies, just one agency with the students, that experience is where it was revealed that these folks need way more than than what we're able to give them right now, just by nature of their own historical and generation trauma with the Khmer Rouge and, and what happened with the killing off of a third of the Cambodian people. Yeah. And so knowing the history, you know, that was important information, mm-hmm. you know, reading about that, having yep. those students read about it. It's like, this is a traumatized country. These aren't just clients that we're seeing, you know, that have been sex trafficked and that's trauma in and of itself in its own category, which mm-hmm. is horrible. Yeah. But the whole country is a country that is traumatized, it's endemic in their culture. Yeah. And so, you know, there's not a family there that has not been touched by the effects of the Khmer Rouge. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the median age right now is 30 or something like that. There's not very many elders. There's not, you know, when the Khmer Rouge came, they killed the artists, they killed the teachers, they killed the doctors and the performers and, mm-hmm. you know, anyone that was educated wore glasses, you know, anyone they killed and their families. So you think about they're trying to recreate who they are. And if they killed all the artists, they don't even have their own art that's left. So they're trying to recreate that. And there's a man there called Arnshorn Pond who I became quite good friends with who's doing amazing work there. He was a survivor of the Khmer Rouge. Yeah. But back to your question as to how I knew, besides hearing about the history, reading a lot about the history, having my students read about the history, going to the killing fields and going to S-21 and other places where these horrific acts happened, and then going and working directly with these young girls who have been sex trafficked. Mm-hmm seeing the clinicians one didn't have a lot of education i mean they had the equivalent of like a psychology degree right with no practicum or internship or anything like yeah. that they were thrown into this field okay their eyes are huge they're when you start talking about specifics or the trauma or anything like that they get dysregulated yeah it's triggering yeah it mm-hmm. triggers them and so when you're triggered you can't function because you're yeah. at primary process thinking you're in survival mode yourself mm-hmm. so how in the world can you support someone who's in that place when you are there too so it's sort of like a ripple effect a domino effect you've got to resource the clinician so that they can stay strong and stay with you know their clients when they talk about some really difficult yeah. things wow i wonder if having the experiences that the clinician people had who were going to administer the therapy, they're speaking from an example. So they've actually went through it too. So they can relate to the people Mm -hmm. they are helping as well. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's a more profound way of Mm -hmm. 
administering therapy. If you have the experience yourself yeah. and you've healed through it. If yeah. you haven't learned how to deal with your own trauma mm-hmm. and, you know, they don't have therapists there in Cambodia. Yeah. I mean, unless you're in a really special kind of place. So they don't get treatment. It's even not looked upon well to get treatment. You don't go to a therapist to seek help. That's shameful, right? You mm. deny that you're anything's wrong with you. Interesting. I mean, there's so many variables to why they're not getting the help they need. Economically, no financial resources for people yeah. to even get therapy, even if they did want to. And so you're working with, even though it's a different kind of trauma, I mean, generational trauma, these clinicians, you know, that had parents that were killed or either grandparents that were killed, family members in really horrific ways and carrying that trauma with them. Domestic violence is a huge problem in Cambodia because they're not dealing with an addiction, Mm. dealing with their trauma. So Mm -hmm. it's very layered and, and complex. Yeah. And so trauma, and in some ways trauma is trauma because your response to a stimulus that feels that way is the same thing. Like yeah. your, your blood pressure is going to go up. Your eyes are going to dilate. You know, your breathing is going to get shallow. All those things that happen when you're mm-hmm. in a trauma response doesn't really matter what the trauma is. Yeah, The reaction is the same, and that is this is not a safe place, and I got to get out of here. And so your brain that is rational and thinks clearly is just not online. Mm-hmm. It's more about I have to get out of here. You know, that's it's a very useful mechanism that we have as human beings. Yeah. But if the threat isn't there at that time, you know, when you're having that trigger, it's not very useful. Okay. So you touched a little bit about the Khmer Rouge in Mm -hmm. Cambodia. I actually Mm -hmm. had the pleasure of going to Cambodia Mm. maybe like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I just decided I wanted to travel Mm -hmm. the world. Went to Mm -hmm. Thailand, went to Cambodia Mm -hmm. just to really go experience some differentness. And I was really into traveling at that time. And Cambodia was one of the most beautiful places that I've ever, ever been to. The culture, the people, the art. The art was really dope too, but, mm-hmm. you know, it was like Anchor Wat, Anchor Tom, and all those mm-hmm. anchored seventh wonders of the world I and know. all that. But when I was there, I also visited the killing fields, and mm-hmm. I also visited the jails. And, man, talk about, like, heart-wrenching, just yeah. crying out loud, just what happened, I you know? know? And... So you were loosely talked about the Khmer Rouge. Can you just Mm -hmm. say a little bit more about that and what that Mm -hmm. was? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, for me, I knew about the Khmer Rouge because I'm older. A lot of my students that went that first time did not know, you know, they're younger. They did not even know that that happened. A lot of people don't know. It didn't happen that long ago. No, it was in the 70s. You know, it's in 75. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you ask a handful of people, there many people do not know what happened in the Khmer Rouge. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a significant genocide that killed a third yeah. of their population, yep. and they're still struggling from it today. Mm-hmm. And it was because of the Vietnam War. I mean, we carpet bombed them and left them vulnerable, and Khmer Rouge came in and took over. Yep. They knew when to do that. So, yeah, what I was going to say is that when I went, I really thought, okay, we're going to be working with victims of sex trafficking, which is horrible. And I mean, it's a horrible thing. Which is pretty rampant out there, too. Yeah, all Southeast Asia has Mm -hmm. got a huge problem. And it's pretty out in the open. And it's, I mean, in many ways, 
I mean, I wouldn't say supported by the government, but they're certainly not doing anything to stop it. Yeah. And so I had dealt with the feelings around the sexual trauma that I would be experiencing with these, well, not my own, but, you know, hearing the stories and things like yeah. that. And I expected that that was going to be jarring for me and, and I was going to have to work with my own responses to that and help my students work with that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting, you know, uh. the generational trauma that we were confronted with in the people and how even in interacting with the people that were managing the hotels or you know, people working in the hotels, and if you would ask them about their history in the Khmerage, they, they would whisper because, you know, they didn't mm. want anyone to hear them because it was not safe. Wow. And What do you mean by not safe? Well, I mean, their government is still pretty corrupt, and uh. there's the political system is not is not really for the people. Okay. And as a matter of fact, the prime minister has some involvement in the history of the Khmer Rouge. So it still feels like a threat to the people of Cambodia. Interesting. And they're also living with the survivors that are manifesting the symptoms of the trauma. So domestic violence or hmm. flashbacks. I mean, it's PTSD basically, yeah. right? But they're not calling it that because they don't haven't been educated in that way. There's a lot of addiction. There's a lot of, even the sex trafficking could be narrowed down to that in some ways. Yeah. So the generational trauma and the historical trauma kind of gets handed down. It's just like compounded. handed down. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of their baggage. It's part of their culture, actually. That's so interesting to think about how trauma can be passed down. And it's not Mm -hmm. like... When you're born into a family, the family dealt with something before mm-hmm. you were even born. Mm-hmm. But yet you're being given this like yeah. trauma. Yeah. And it's like, how do you deal with that? That's a different type of trauma than something happened to you. You have mm-hmm. this response and you need to work with it. It's like something didn't happen to you, but it happened to your culture. It happened to your country. Right. It's like a weird therapeutic phenomenon almost Mm -hmm. yeah the fallout is pretty big and you know there's been some scientific evidence called epigenetics where they have found that there is evidence that lives in your body yeah the trauma in your dna in a way so it gets expressed again and again and again the good news is is that if you work with it you can also alter your dna yeah again and i think they don't really realize that and because they're a collective culture and shame is also a characteristic that the Cambodians deal with, you know, honor and shame. And that surrounds sort of that history, too. Mm-hmm. So fear, I can't talk about it because I'm afraid of who might hear me, and yeah. shame, mm-hmm. you know. This is our country. This is what our people did because the Khmer Rouge were Cambodians, right? So it was their people that turned against themselves. Yeah. It's very complex. They're ruthless, yeah, too. I know. They did some naughty things. They did some really, yeah. it was some really sad time so in history for them. You said something about trauma being stored in your DNA. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that actually look like to have traumatic DNA? Mm-hmm. How does it actually get stored? Or what has mm-hmm. it that they found that mm-hmm. is stored? Boy, I can't really even very describe scientific. that because it's so scientific. Yeah. I just know that there's evidence to show that these things are passed down in our genetics and that it changes our DNA, which I think 
changes how we view ourselves in the world, I would imagine, you know, safety and sense of self and sense of agency is very much affected. And plus, you know, when you've got generations and generations and you, we communicate through body language and meta level all the time, way more than words can Mm -hmm. even touch. It's ineffable in many ways. We don't really, you know, know that that's happening. But for instance, if somebody were to run in this room right now and their eyes were big and wide, and they were just shallow breathing, but they didn't say a word, we would go into panic. Yeah. Automatically, because there's something in their face, in their body, yeah. saying something's not safe here. Yeah. That happens even when the environment's safe, but they're still responding from triggers. Mm-hmm. And so that's being passed down to passed down and passed down, just what they're seeing and experiencing yeah. in others' behaviors. And then I guess it works the other way. So if you are having the ability to heal and to work through, you are able to change your DNA, which you are able to pass along. This just sounds really awesome to be able Mm -hmm. to provide this therapy Mm -hmm. to people who Mm -hmm. like definitely need it and who Mm -hmm. there's a community that doesn't really speak Mm -hmm. about the things that they Mm -hmm. should Mm -hmm. and work through. But when they are, you're definitely altering a generation that like probably should have happened two generations ago. Right. right. And the arts are perfect for that because the arts in many ways mimic early experiences where we feel safe. There's a yeah. theorist out there called Bruce Perry and he's come up with these calls the six R's and working with trauma survivors. And one of them is like rhythm, repetition, relationship. Those are just three of them. But the arts mimic that, you know, uh, rhythm and repetition or drumming. You find rhythm and repetition in art making. I mean, so there's something about that process that regulates our nervous system. The more we can engage in the art process, the more we're going to find those places. And I think that's sort of been robbed from us as human beings anyway. You know, mm-hmm. back many, many hundreds of years ago, people engaged in craft and art all the time. Mm-hmm. It was a part of their daily lives. It was nourishing the soul, cooking, working with the senses, you know, handicrafts, making their own things is a healing inherent wisdom that we have. Mm-hmm. And we've we've gotten away from that a little bit. Okay. And so I think going back to your point, yes, we can change our genetics back to feel more safe. Mm-hmm. Like we should feel that this is not an unsafe environment. The sounds, the taste, everything around us is beautiful and in rhythm and in mm-hmm. concert. Yeah. You know, <laughs> even the chaos dancing, even that, you know, uh-huh. is an expression. And it may be all over the place, but it's something about expressing it. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. 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 Was there any other forms of therapy that were given during the conference? We had yoga every day. We had a beautiful ending ritual with a string being passed. We all stood mm-hmm. in a circle. And this is sort of art therapy, but we had a ball of yarn. Actually, it wasn't a string. It was a ball of yarn. Yeah. And we tossed it around the circle until it was one huge web. Mm-hmm. And each person before they tossed the ball would say a word, just one word, about what that experience was like for them. Okay. And we did that in community. And so that really incorporated almost all of the, the whole week, you okay. know, because it was movement. Yeah. There was the metaphor of, of the web, 
connecting us all. And the spoken word was there. Relationship was there and that we had already been together for the three days and we were actually tossing the ball at one another, so making contact in mm-hmm. that way. You know, it was like a sensory celebration. Ooh, That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounded like you created a very trusting community mm-hmm. while in that space. So mm-hmm. things that were hard to discuss mm-hmm. were in a very safe container, which yeah. I'm sure is super valuable mm-hmm. in a moment like that, especially mm-hmm. with a culture that is not used to having therapy. Right. So right. that's very interesting. Yeah, I think arts allow the story to be told in a way that's not so explicit. It's once removed. Yeah. So you don't have to say, this happened to me, and then go into the story. It's expressed in a way that gets it out of your body, for one thing. So it's once removed. And it's a piece of art, so it's an expression. And then the next part, which is so important, is to be witnessed. And I think sometimes we forget how important that part is. Yeah. You know, no artist really wants to make their art and it not be seen. Mm-hmm. What's the point? You know, I'm going to make this big painting and nobody's going to see it. I'm going to dance this dance and nobody. I I mean, I think there is a time and a place for that, that Mm -hmm. kind. But there is that other piece about being witnessed, being seen Mm -hmm. and seen in that way. I know for me, when I make a piece of art and someone looks at it and they are impacted by it and I can tell, Mm -hmm. they don't even have to say anything, you know, or I can tell a story and they just, yeah, you know, repeat reflect back you yeah. know yeah so there's something very different okay about that what was the experience like for you mm-hmm. it sounded like everyone had a pretty big impact on their lives but how was that for you in the conference yeah you know there's this book i read it's called cambodia cursed i think it is and there's a quote in there that says cambodia will steal your heart and cambodia will break your heart Mm, And I don't know why it was different for me this time going, but I left brokenhearted, actually, and also felt tremendous amount of gratitude and love for the people that I encountered in a much deeper way because we got to do it together in a way. And maybe that's why I felt more brokenhearted Mm. because I made a deeper connection that I hadn't experienced before. Maybe it's because I went back there and this was the fourth time I'd been there. And so I had a deeper, you know, the the tourist in me was kind of, eh. So I was really just there. I mean, it's one of the highlights of my career, no doubt. I mean, the whole experience of doing this work in Cambodia and being given the opportunity, the privilege. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really got a sense of my privilege in a very deep and important way that's changed me and made me see that I cannot walk around blind. And I've been fortunate to be given a lot of gifts. Mm-hmm. And I didn't deserve them any more than anybody else. And, you know, I want to see what I can do with that yeah. in a useful way. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I really resonate with that line that you just said, yeah. too. I yeah. feel that. Yeah. So I'm curious, what's next for this conference or organization? Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you're planning? Is there Mm -hmm. anything coming up? Mm -hmm. What's going on? There is a plan. I have, as a matter of fact, there's a team of us that are working together. Okay. Well, one of the women, her name is Katie Hensarik, and she was a graduate from the art therapy program. She was the one who was, that I mused with that I spoke about earlier. Okay. 
she came this past year. She went another year and supervised when we were taking students. Mm-hmm. Her husband, who's also a graduate from Naropa, his name is Nathan Torty, and he was a wilderness therapy student. He nice. went to the conference this year. Jenna Noah, who is teaching in our mindfulness-based transpersonal counseling program now, who's also big in the community mm-hmm. with Boulder Brulask and other organizations like that, who's okay. strong resonance around this particular topic. She's a part of it. So we have a group, and the idea is to continue to do conferences in the same vein ones that offer arts therapy for the caregivers and Mm -hmm. working with their own trauma, at least initially. Our organization that we've named is called Partners for Social Justice, and we're just now still working on a website. But the idea is to continue to work with Naropa grads or alumni or students if they can go, and Mm -hmm. but to maybe go to other countries. Okay. We met a lot of people from other countries that yeah. said, would you come Will you come to Chile? Will you come to, <laughs> you know, will you come and do yeah. this conference there? So we got the, the beginnings of continuing to do this work, and I would love to do this work. Okay. So we'll see. Yeah. I wish for your success Thanks. in these endeavors because it yeah. sounds like it's a very amazing tool to have mm-hmm. to bring to people to show them therapeutic mm-hmm. healing through art and movement mm-hmm. and yeah. body yeah. and not just one-on-one sit-down talk therapy. Yeah. So, And if I could just say one more thing, it really connects us is, you know, regardless of what the issues are, whether it's trauma or from sex trafficking or intergenerational domestic violence, I think there's a deeper healing that's happening when we do these conferences. Maybe mm-hmm. that's part of the impact that it made on me. Yeah. Is that, I mean, I was making art with people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And it really you kind of forgot that maybe there's trauma here or maybe there's their history here. We were connecting as global neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, that was so cool because I have not had that experience before. Not like that. Yeah. Not where like, okay, you're my neighbor. And why are we fighting? You know, why are we have all this conflict in the world? Mm-hmm. You know, when as long as I can see you and and hang out with you in this way, and make art with you in this way, how could I not love you? Yeah. (laughs) And so that kind of healing got me really turned on. It was Mm -hmm. like, wow, that's good stuff, because the language is really good. So yummy. It's so yummy. Oh. So (laughs) if anyone's interested on looking up this conference or just diving deeper into the information Mm -hmm. you just gave us, how could they find this? Oh, yeah. Partners for Social Justice is the name of the organization now. I'm happy for people to email me if they'd like to. Can What's I your, my Yeah, email? go for it. It's sue.wallingford, and that's W-A-L-L-I-N-G-F-O-R-D at gmail.com. Because we are in the process of trying to find people that want to help organize conferences, mm-hmm. just sort of the administrative kind of stuff. Yeah. And if they're interested... They can contact us, but we will have an, a website up pretty soon. Okay. Do you already have a title for the website? or? Well, it would be Partners for Social Justice. I okay. think they can Google that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's our yeah. podcast, and it was such a treat speaking to you about 
the multiple variations of therapy, the mm-hmm. spectrum of how we can heal as I'm hearing this like humanity healing. And it's not just yeah. a culture. It's not just a family. It's like all of us. Mm-hmm. There's some deep rooted stuff going on that we all need to come together we all need to wake up we all need to support and love and help and just understand like we have many emotions we have but just allowing them to happen and being authentic but then also holding space for others you know we need to be available to help others and it just sounds like the work that you're doing Mm -hmm. provided a space for people to do the healing that like was essential for them to keep moving on. Right. You know? Yeah. It's beyond words. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that was the key piece. It's sort of like, well, we can't talk because we don't understand one another Mm -hmm. (laughs) with the language barrier. And then I think we tend to argue a little bit or debate or compare or when we get together as people, we use that mode of expression. Yeah. Art transcends that. Mm-hmm. It does not argue. I mean, I think it compliments. Yeah. It just doesn't. I'm just trying to think, how does it argue? <laughs> no, it doesn't. I mean, you could probably argue with art, and that'd be a really cool piece. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's true. You can do that. But it, it doesn't, you know, there's a friendlier dialogue, I think, a deeper dialogue. It's something to think about, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's more companionship. Yeah. With working with others when you do art. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitions definitely get in the way. Mm-hmm. And if two people's definitions aren't mm-hmm. vibing with each other, mm-hmm. their ideas of getting right. along are going to be a little different too. Right. Example of that is, um, <laughs> you know, I have worked with kids a lot and and I would try to tell parents, you know, what was going on with them. And there would be that component of debate or comparison or, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not quite getting it. If I showed them some art of what the child did was trying to express their feelings. You could just see it in their eyes like, okay. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you speaking with me. Yes. It was such a pleasure to yeah, go thank you so really much. deep into this mm-hmm. and just kind of like hear all your yeah. extracurricular activities that you've been working on yeah. and get to use all your therapeutic yeah. knowledge. Yeah. It's so good. So thank you so yeah. much. It's the best part of the job. Yeah. <laughs> So I'd like to thank my guest, Sue Wallingford. She is a core faculty member and teaching in the mindfulness-based transpersonal counseling department. And she is also a member and participant of the Nourish Arts Therapy and Wellbeing Conference. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.